here we are. We made it. We made it to our 50th episode. Holy crap. I did not think we are going to get this far, honestly. I, I really didn't. But I'm glad we did. We had a lot of conversations with a lot of interesting people. Some of them are my friends. Some people uh, became my friends after we did the JMS podcast conversations here. And you know what? I am so, so grateful for everybody who tunes in on a weekly basis or a monthly basis and listen to my conversations with people who are always inspiring. And what better way to end, well not end, but like to consider uh, a season finale because I'm going to take a little break after the 50th episode. Because you know what, people, when you run a weekly podcast by yourself, you can get burned out a little. So I could, t- I could take like a, a two weeks off, which is perfect because I have CineQuest Film Festival here in San Jose and I have a lot of work to get done there too. So uh, yeah, you can catch me in the two weeks at the uh, CineQuest Film Festival. But however, the JMS podcast will go on a very small hiatus, just about two weeks. That's it. But what better way to end our first season by having an amazing guest uh, who is a big influence in my writing and in general, even to this day, I hold still a lot of principles that he taught me uh, than the one and only Brock Goldman. Now, Brock Goldman is a screenwriting teacher, but he's also a screenwriter. Don't get me wrong. Uh, he's worked in the field, in, in the industry, both in New York and L.A., and he has a lot of wisdom to offer in his classes. And as you get to uh, listen to our conversation... Uh, you realize that this guy really knows what he's talking about, and he's a funny guy. And if, 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 I really can't thank him enough because if it wasn't for him, the route that I've chosen, you know, he's probably think, "Oh shit, oh, I'm responsible for Jorge's demise. Oh no, what have I done?" But no, it's all good because I think I've become a better person since taking the route of choosing to become a screenwriter and a, a writer in general as well. Uh, screenwriting really opened the doors to the other mediums of writing that I got creative with. And that includes everything from poetry, from um, storytelling, to music, to stand-up. So, Barack Goldman, God, it was great having him here. He was sitting right across from me. And I'm like, holy crap, the guy, the guy that, that really put hammered in, uh, you know, the discipline that I must have when it comes to screenwriting is sitting across from me right here on the podcast and just spouting off wisdom. It was great. It was great. So tune in for a great conversation. And uh, I couldn't have asked for a better season finale. I think that that tops it off uh, for now. And hopefully when I return, we'll have a bigger cast of interesting people in the community. Always looking forward. Always learn something different every time I talk to people. You know, don't get me wrong. When you're running a weekly podcast, uh, after there comes a point halfway a little more than halfway when you actually realize holy crap people are actually supporting me and people are actually listening that you feel a sense of responsibility to really bring in guests and not only that just great guests but to you yourself to be at the top of your game and really listen to what your guests are saying and there have been days where I'm having bad days. I'm like, oh my God, I have an interview today for the podcast. I'm not sure how, how well it's going to go. And every time I talk to somebody, my day gets better because I learn something different. And just in general, I think there's a very infectious vibe that comes off from people who are creative. 
that you, you just hang around them and you listen to the work they have done and you're like, yeah, they can do it. Maybe there's something I can do too. And I will take this opportunity to thank every guest so far, every single guest that's come on from the very beginning, from David Fournier, a good friend of mine, all the way to Chelista for messing up her coffee, uh, all the way to um, Patrice Faith, all the way, I, I, I can name all 50 of them, all 50 of them. Great, great. I learned something different. Oh, I can't say it enough. Thank you. And thank you for the, my supporters and listeners of this podcast. Uh, we reached 50 episodes. That's 50 hours of me talking to somebody in the internet. That is weird. Oh, my God. Oh, God, just thinking about it blows my mind. But although we are on a hiatus, you can stay in touch for any other developments that I'm into. Uh, you can follow JMS Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can email me at jmspodcast dot what's not dot right no the jmspodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, I mentioned dot because you could check out the jmspodcast dot com website. Um, so check out the website, see all the content that's available that this podcast provides on the website. It's all there. It's all condensed, centralized, as you will. And uh, yeah, that's thank you. Just thank you. Thank you to all those listening in all those 50th episodes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I can't thank you enough. And let's, uh, without much further ado, let's check out our conversation with Brock Goldman. Truthfully, Brock Goldman, it is. I'm more excited to have you here. I, I think. I think. Yeah, yeah. I'm recording now. Oh, you're recording. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, it truly is great having you here, because I think if I would have, you were actually my first screenwriting teacher I ever had. Uh oh. I hope I didn't uh, ruin it for you. No, I think you you really really uh, expedited the learning curve for me. Oh really? Good. Right, because before I got into screenwriting as seriously as I did, I would. You know, do the usual, do, do, go about what the internet says or what other screenwriters. And a, a lot of it has to do with, you know, you just write whatever you want and this and that. Yeah, most of it is such crap. Right? Yeah. Such crap. And I didn't realize that until I took your class. And you're like... Which is even more crap. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a great... Well, I'm not sure if you realize that you're, you're more influential to a big group of screenwriting, young screenwriter students than you think. I mean... When I hear people say, where did you study? Like, who, who was your screenwriter teacher? When they say Brock Goldman, they say it with pride. I'm not sure if you noticed really? that. I, I had no idea. I, I... As soon as they say it, when I, when I meet other transfer students, they're like, oh, yeah, I started under Brock. And, there, and there's a sense of community. It's like, oh, you started under Brock? I started under Brock. Really? That's so cool to hear. Uh, that I, makes me feel good. I'm blushing. I remember uh, a, a musician, uh, Patrice Faith. Oh, she's great. A lot of talent. Sweet girl. Yeah. Yeah, she's great. Like, I remember uh, we... When we met, you know, it's like, you know, how's it going? And then somehow screenwriting got into the conversation. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you came up, we started talking forever about film and screenwriting. Oh, that's great. Yeah, thank you. Do, do you realize a lot of students that come through your class and and, and, and really call you an inspiration? Uh, 
No, actually, no. Don't get uh, don't get too much of that. But uh, you know, it's 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 great to hear, and I can I can sometimes see it in their eyes, and and I do get people that have told me that um, I'm very touched. I don't know what to say. You know, this is this is very sweet. But I do get some people that will come up to me and and thank me, and uh, and I can see people that. You know, sort of like me, actually. I see people like me who I had no idea what I wanted to do until I first started studying screenwriting in undergraduate when I just sort of fell into it. And um, and I see people and people tell me that they had no idea what they wanted to do until uh, they, they studied screenwriting. And it's really such a such an amazing feeling. And But it doesn't happen too often. So I'm glad I'm here to hear that. And uh, mm -hmm. it's a great way to start the afternoon. I really appreciate it. Well, I think the, the thing that stuck out the most with the way you taught was you had this no-bullshit approach to things. I hate bullshit. You know, you, you, you really... And just the way you really hammered into the students to be like, hey, uh, it, it, it does. you should really give a shit what you're writing about and you should give a shit about how screenwriting is a craft work that has been done for many years and it works a certain way. It, yeah. it does not mean that you have to follow a certain way. It just means that you need to apply what you feel inside to your scripts. Right. And I remember, especially, it's, it was always fun to watch you, uh, you know, students who are a bit more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Pain in the ass. Pain in the ass. Yeah. And, and I remember there's a point where you're like, why are you even here? Like, like this is what I'm offering. Take it or leave it. And for me, I was like, wow, like no teacher would have done that. <laughs> but in this line of work, you need that kick in the ass. Yeah, it's it's such an incredibly competitive business, and and in fact, it's funny. I did this in class the other day. There were um, a number of people who didn't come in with their work, and I asked them how many people want to do this with their lives, and everybody raised their hands, and I told them then there should be no reason why they don't have their work, because if they don't do their work, they're never going to accomplish anything. They're never going to learn. They're never going to get better. In which case, this is such a hard industry to break into that. Just do it as a hobby whenever the hell you want to. And, you know, it's just it's just a waste of your time if, if you don't want to do that. Go find something else to do with your life that, you know, that you actually want to work at. And uh, don't waste my time. Don't waste my TA's time. And don't waste your time. Go go be an accountant. Go, go do something where you can actually make a living at it. That's a uh, much easier way to do so. That's exactly what I felt. A lot of young students needed to hear. They you do because after taking other screenwriting teachers, they're they are more passive on that stuff. And in some way, I'm just I'm just a, I'm just an impatient New Yorker. <laughs> <laughs> is that what it is? But above all else, what the most important thing I felt you taught me was to show not to be afraid to show vulnerability in your stories. You have to. You know, it's it's. I read a great script, and, and I always use this, and, and I was a reader for a while and uh, in, in Hollywood, and one of the best scripts I ever read, and, and I really learned from that script about how the importance of, of being vulnerable and allowing yourself to be vulnerable in your writing, because it was incredibly touching. It was hilarious. It was a, it was a script about a young woman who was dying of breast cancer who, um, who falls in love with her oncologist and tries to tries to get him to marry her before she dies and on every page it was incredibly hilarious and while at the same time uh, tear-jerking and as I was reading it I could feel the the vulnerability and the realness of a reality but the realness of of the writer 
And I was so touched by that that not only did I feel like I got to know the characters in the film, but I also in the script, but I also got to know the writer. And it was also really interesting when I was writing a first draft of a script, and I never give anyone first drafts of, of scripts to read, but this one I gave about five people to see if, if they thought it was worth continuing or what they thought. And as I was writing it, there was one scene, and it was funny, but there wasn't really much of a story, and I wasn't that proud of it. Well, I'm really not proud of anything I write very much. You know, maybe that's a sign <laughs> of a good writer. I don't know. But, but I did write this one scene. I remember I couldn't figure out how to write this scene, and I kind of tapped into my own baggage and internal bullshit and turmoil, and I decided to let myself become vulnerable in the writing and really inject myself into the writing instead of putting the characters out there in a world in front of me to inject myself into it almost like you know method actors who put themselves into it in their own experience and all of that why can't there be method writing you know and I tried to sort of figure that out and I wrote this scene and as I wrote this scene even though it was a comedy I found myself getting choked up because it was me and people that I knew and how I would react in that situation and I got a ton of notes on the script from these five people that I gave it to. And, you know, it was, it was a range of comments. But every single person reacted tremendously to this one scene. And I realized then, and this was probably eight years ago, maybe seven years ago, eight years ago, nine years ago, whenever it was. And I realized how important allowing yourself to be vulnerable in the writing is. It comes through. And the emotional component, how important that is in the script. So, so yeah, and, and not a lot of people do that. And something actually I work on in class. And plus you have to be vulnerable in your writing, but it's also incredibly vulnerable, induce, vulnerability inducing to be a writer or an artist of any kind, a musician, artist, whatever, because you have to put your, your, your soul and your blood and your sweat and your tears into your work and your imagination and your daydreams and your night dreams and your wet dreams and all of these dreams into your work and to be judged by other people. You know, art is judged by other people, and there's really nothing more scary than allowing yourself to be judged by people, most of whom you don't know, and oftentimes by people you do know. I don't know which is scarier, people who judge you that you know or people that judge you that you don't know, but They're the whole thing... They're both different scary, yeah. They are different scary, but both scary. But it's, it's being an artist, is, and, and I'm not saying that I'm an artist or screenwriting is an art, but I guess it is. Uh, I always just think saying it, uh, I'm an artist or writer as an artist is a little pretentious. But uh, um, but yeah, it's just you have to allow yourself to be vulnerable pretty much on every level. And I think being vulnerable gives you a certain amount of strength too and, and, and courage and all of that. So yeah, I think it's really important. Yeah, and after learning that, I felt made me a lot better writer. You're a great you know, writer and, and you're a talented and, guy. And, and oh, students, you. <laughs> yeah, students and people like you that you know, inspire teachers like us to, to be the best we can and to, to really reach you guys and, and do what we can. What is it you look for in a student when they go to learn screenwriting? Just passion and desire to learn, to get better. Uh, I look for unique voices. I look for personalities. Um, I look for potential. I mean, now, what do I look for? I'm not an admissions person, so I right. don't choose who comes in. And well, it's not so much about students-wise, but it's more, it's more about writers-wise. From one writer to an another writer. What do I get out of it? Or what... I'm sorry, what... what, uh, what Pretty much I'm mean? asking, first day of class, mm -hmm. here you... Almost every, every quarter you meet new students. I do, every quarter, yeah. Every quarter. So for me, I think that could be exhausting at some points. 
uh, of new faces teaching uh, sometimes maybe the same stuff but but however I'm pretty sure there's a select few or maybe there's a group of them that you realize hey these guys are really get it well you know it's interesting because this is a community college where the only admission requirement is a pen you know and considering I have basically a hundred plus students every single quarter and every quarter I get about 50 or 60 new ones and about 50 or 60 continue on most of them continue on which is great um, but considering like I said that there's no there are no real admission requirements I am incredibly blown away by just truly how much talent there is out there and how much desire so many of them have and and the passion that so many have and I think a lot of it is sort of like me I never went to school to become a writer or vet, you know or, or a uh, or a, a screenwriter or a filmmaker of any kind I went to school originally to become a veterinarian and I couldn't do math or science or anything like that in fact uh, what turned me into a writer or a screenwriter was uh, when I went to school to college to do this I was studying uh, I was studying pre-med uh, pre and biology and, and psychology and all of these things, and all of these things because I couldn't find one thing that I love. I was terrible at math and science, just terrible. And we had to do this huge uh, lab report on a B.F. Skinner experiment, sort mm. of a Pavlov thing with this rat in this cage. Right. And, and, and the Skinner box. The Skinner, exactly. It was a yeah. Skinner box experience. See, this is what I like. why I like you. You know these things. <laughs> I can't tell you how many people don't know what who B.F. Skinner is. But we had to do this. And it we have to do this like 40 page lab report with graphs and statistics and data analysis and more fucking graphs and more fucking data and I couldn't do any of that so I ended up writing a short story about it from the rat's point of view and <laughs> and and unfortunately it was probably one of the greatest pieces of writing I ever done in my life yeah. changed my life and and I fell into and then I was gonna go I dropped out of school because I was like I can't do this shit yeah. and uh, in, I some, in some ways did you feel like you you personify the rat as yourself being stuck in this school system of not knowing what's going on. Oh, completely. And I just kept pushing the buttons of like negative reward, negative reward, <laughs> negative reward. You know, I was just getting shocked and beaten and prodded and, and sodomized, you know, in, in all the wrong ways. Well, I, you know. I, I hope the cheese comes out this time. Yeah, no. exactly. Exactly. I got no cheese, but I, but ultimately I did get plenty of cheese because uh, when I dropped out, I somehow, through kismet, through luck, whatever it may be, I fell into film and screenwriting and immediately fell in love with it. And so my point is that so many of the students that I have have tried so many other things. And nobody, no parent is going to tell their kids, I hope you become a writer. I hope you become an artist. Go do this. Go get a career. Go go become a you know, a lawyer, go become an accountant. Go become, I don't know why I keep saying accountant, but I guess it's tax season. Um, right. Which reminds me, I got to do my I shit. Got, I got to do mine too. Oh God, we should do it together. <laughs> and uh, and, <laughs> I, and I owe a lot, so if I can borrow some money, oh yeah, what that? <laughs> and uh, but but I sort of consider my classes in the film department as a whole kind of the land of the misfit toys, people that haven't fit anywhere else in in school, and they come in and they find this, find film and find writing and find filmmaking, and just fall completely in love with it because it's really about them and, and expressing who they are and the voices in their heads and the voices in their hearts and being able to express it and tell it in a way that people will actually listen and, and be touched by it or moved by it. You know, you, you touched upon something briefly um, that really resonates with me and that is you said it felt like the Toys of Misfits. Yes. In some ways, going into choosing what college to go, mm -hmm. 
Uh, I knew straight out of high school I wanted to do something that's film related. That's great. But however, you know, due to certain circumstances, I never thought of really applying to university level stuff. Right. So I was like, you know, well, there's a community college here that's known for its film program. Right. Why not go that route? And I'm glad I did. But I remember... I'm glad you did too. uh, I remember the first day I was going to quit. The first day. Why? Because I took a production class Mm -hmm. and I was immediately intimidated because I... All I know from high school was shooting on a stupid mini DV camera. Right. You go in. It's not stupid, man. I started. I started on Super Eight film. <laughs> Even that's cool. It was cool. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, compared to the digital stuff we had at yeah. the time. Uh, but I, I would go my first day of class, and it's a production class, and all these students were veterans, and they knew all these equipment, they knew all, all of the the language right. of filmmaking, and me, I was like, I think I'm way out of my head here. What was I thinking? <laughs> But then I took your screenwriting class, and I was like, you know what? Maybe I don't have, you know, the fancy equipment, but maybe I, what I do have are stories. Because stories is something I've always liked writing from right. a very young age. Well, can I interrupt you for a second? Yeah. A lot of people, first of all, it's 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 interesting, and it, it sort of drives me crazy. Not you're not driving me crazy, but the idea, the attitude, because a lot of people don't have the money to be able to afford the big fancy cameras. Right. And I always tell people. And it drives me crazy that people feel that they can't make movies without these big fancy cameras or they're out of the league because they don't have these big fancy cameras. Well, it's just telling a goddamn story. And, you know, there were days before high def. There were days when it was just film cameras. Mm -hmm. There was no fancy cameras. Everybody was using the same film camera. In fact, everybody just would wind the camera up. People would use the Bolex cameras that, you know, you have to wind up and they'd run 30 seconds of film and wind down and would make brilliant films. Mm -hmm. So the technology doesn't matter. Yeah, it makes things, it it might make things a little bit easier, might make things look a little bit different, but um, I should say differently. My my girlfriend would kill me if I'm not putting in the correct adverbs. But <laughs> is she also a writer? She's actually a brilliant writer. Okay. Uh, yes, she is. And um, so uh, actually, we're working on a on a TV show together. And oh, so great. yeah, no, she's great and uh, brilliant writer. But. Um, people think that they can't make films on on brilliant right well there used to be standard def and there were brilliant movies made on standard def much better than movies that are made on a red or a black magic or whatever the hell else is out there the technology doesn't matter just might make it look a little clearer but as far as i'm concerned if it's in focus and it sounds good and sound i got to say is probably one of the under most underrated elements of film oh yeah and um, and the script and the acting, but if those are there, it really boils down to, as far as I'm concerned, why I got into screenwriting is because it's all based on the story. It's all based on the screenplay, and if it's in focus and it sounds good and the actors are are, are decent and you have but you have a good script, it's going to be a good movie. You know, technology doesn't to me it doesn't really matter. So many people focus on that, and students. I know students come in and show off about the cameras that they have, and people who can't afford them feel inferior to that, and it's bullshit. Well, and that's the epiphany I got after taking your class. That was the epiphany, exactly what it was. I was like, you know what? Fucking A. I don't have that shit, right. but I do know how to tell a story. Yes, you do. And some of these guys don't. Mm-hmm. So maybe I can find a way to collaborate or find a way to, to really you know work around it. Right. And, 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 and that's what I'm saying, though. It's like those lessons, I've, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one that learned when it comes to screenwriting. I don't think so, man. You know, a lot of... I, I see over the years, and... And I love it. It's a it's a blessing and it's a curse that this is a two year program. And there's the associate's degree in screenwriting, and a bunch of people are taking it and have taken six quarters of classes with me, two years. And I see how their writing has completely improved, and and I'm just blown away. 
mm-hmm. by by the improvement. And if you work hard like you do, you will improve, and you, the stories that you have to tell will come across clearly and beautifully. And I also got to give it up at the time. I'm pretty sure they're always great, but your TAs, yeah, like, I, uh, like you know, it's. I think they, they really helped a lot as well. Cause, they're they're Because you're you're a busy guy. And I remember when I really needed some feedback, I could rely on them as well. H- have you always had that system? No, it got to the point where my classes started to grow in numbers. And, and I take that, I'm very flattered by that, that people seem to enjoy the classes and come back for more. And, and I guess word is spreading. As, as you said, there's a community and people are getting to know about it. So... Um, you know, without sounding arrogant, but it, I'm very flattered by it, and it's it's wonderful to see um, that that people are getting into screenwriting because I, I think it's I think it's an amazing thing to be doing. Um, so I forgot what the question was. The ADD kicked in. Oh, well, uh, I'm sorry. What was your, your, your TAs? Oh, the TAs, right? Thank you. How, and so, so as the cla- as the cl- as the classes got bigger. Yeah. There is no way that I can read pages, and I expect a lot. You know, it's it's I expect a lot of work out of my students, and maybe I expect them to write too much because I realize that I could not. There's no way that I could read everybody's scripts. There's no way, and there's not enough time in a day to read as many pages as I get in from the assignments. And people are telling me, why don't you expect less and have them write less and just do tests instead of pages? And I'm like, that's crap. You know that, that's crap. I don't want to test them. The test is the proof is in the pudding in terms of their pages, and I just can't read them all. And so about my second year, I've been at the Anza. It's crazy. This is I think my ninth year now, um, and God, I'm getting old. And uh, as the classes started getting bigger, and I, I have I wasn't able to. And one thing that I love is my favorite thing is my office hour when I get to really work with students one-on-one when they come in the people that come in are really really into it and passionate I love working with them one-on-one and I wish I could do that with all the students and I realized that I couldn't and so I started to bring in TAs and what's great about these TAs and I don't understand it is that they work for free and you know they're volunteers and I I handpicked them and at first there was I had a great group and then I gotta say it sort of fell off a little bit and uh and but the last few years I've had my first few years and then my last few years I've had brilliant brilliant TAs and I've really really been making sure that I've got people that know how to write well and who've been studying with me for for a long time so I get to know their writing and I get to know them as people and they're approachable they love working with people with with other students they love working on other people's stories they're really really good at it and they're just freaking good people people that I get to know them and I need to be able to hang out with them. I need to be able to go have a beer with them. Yeah. And if I can't... It's probably the biggest factor. It is. you know. And if I can't, then why would other students want to work with them? And so I, I kind of handpicked them and, and I've been incredibly lucky to have a huge pool of great, talented students to pick from. And they're great. I, I love them. I love them to death, you know, and, and, <laughs> and I'll love them forever. Yeah. And then another great thing, uh, I wasn't really involved because I was involved in other things, but you, it seemed uh, there was the Hollywood North Studios. So I think it's great that you've really tried hard to bring us, the industry to De Anza for the students to get a real taste of what they're dealing with. Yeah, you know, one of the things that that really sort of got me that that really brought me to De Anza was the idea of working with a bunch of people that are not in any way tied to the industry mm-hmm. and not at all tied to 
the business or to Los Angeles, people that feel like they're in a vacuum who have no idea what it's like outside of San Jose. And, um, and, and so the Hollywood North podcast that we did, uh, very proud of because they were student run. Um, the, the, the podcasts were student run, student produced. And, and yeah, I was able to bring up a bunch of people that inspired me when I was in graduate school at UCLA and people that, and students that I met and people that I met along the travels, uh, along my travels to who had some, a lot of good knowledge to, to share with me. And, and I wanted to bring that to the students and somehow bridge the gap. So they knew they weren't that far away from it and to hopefully inspire. And it really, really did. And for what it was on iTunes U and, uh, I heard from some people that they use the podcast at Chapman University in the classrooms. Wow. And uh, for a while, it looked like um, the podcasts were uh, that we did were in the top 100 of iTunes U film and media related podcasts. And I'm really proud of it because it really was student run and, and student edited and student produced. And yeah, it was a really, it was a really, really great thing. And finally got some budgets. So we're going to be bringing up some more people from LA and, and really get them to connect with the students and the students really learned a lot and and um, it's really exciting for them because I remember when I was at UCLA getting some of my favorite aspects of it was being able to get um, was able to get guests um, to, to come in and, and listening to them was was always exciting and to be able to do that for these students um, outside of Los Angeles is really really exciting and it gives them some hope wow yeah yeah totally uh, now I like to delve into your background a bit. Okay. I, I, I like to know you. On, um, pretty much, you mentioned you're from New York. Yeah, I spent I spent most of my life in and around New York City. Were you born and raised in New York? No, I, I I was born in Portland, Oregon. Moved to Atlanta, Georgia. I've sort of moved all over the place, but I was figuring it out. I spent about 24 years in and around New York City, upstate New York. Uh, Long Island. So through your childhood, you moved around. I moved my I've moved around uh, my younger childhood. My formidable years <laughs> were uh, were were really spent in New York. You know, it's uh, yeah. I I was just in New York this past weekend, uh -huh. and uh, and it's been about thirteen. I, I left New York in two thousand three to to move to Los Angeles, and so what is that? I'm not good at math, uh, which I already talked about which is why I'm not a veterinarian uh, but so what is that 13 years ago I left New York and I just landed uh, there and as soon as I stepped stepped you know out of the airplane and into uh, the airport it just felt like home to me was your, so was, were your parents military is that why you're moving around uh, no my dad um, well my dad is actually uh, just he's well he's a doctor and he he just moved around from hospital to hospital and I was uh, it was very inspiring and he would go to teaching universities and uh, he's a radiologist and what he would do would be to take um, flailing residency programs residency programs that were failing their boards and were being you know considered sometimes even shut down and would take them and build them up and grow them into some of the best programs in the country wow. and he stayed in academia and part of that is it really inspired me to get into academia as well because I would see what he was able to do and you know he's he's kind of my hero you know he was a tough ass yeah. you know for for a long time but I bet I mean he had to go fix fucked up things yeah and then I couldn't imagine any Kind of fixed me too, yeah. you know, as as the biggest <laughs> fucked up thing. Well, I hope, hope he didn't use radiology for that. No, 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 he didn't. How about your mother? My mother is totally opposite. This is why I became a writer, and uh, 
Um, my dad's an old-fashioned traditional doctor, and my mom is a sort of a new age guru hypnotherapist. Oh wow! Yeah, so 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 they were both in academia. Uh, my mom wasn't in academia. My mom okay. was in, in in private practice, and and but she was because she was a um, she has a couple master's degrees in in counseling and education, and so she was doing a lot of counseling. She fell into this new age world of of hypnotherapy and all sorts of things. And when I did a little bit of I did a little bit of stand up in New York, and I would talk about that and how how, how I, is that? I, I hate doing stand up. Really? I, yeah, I hate it. I'm not a performer. I hate getting Ooh. up in front of people, and and it just what what drove you to do in the first place what drove me to do it in the first place was I wanted to face my fear of public speaking oh. so as a kid you were always quiet actually I was okay. I kind of was um, kept it to yourself and you're like I need to change this I need to when I was young and then I, I and then you, I had you high threw school. yourself to the sharks man I did throw myself to the sharks and, and New York is a tough crowd you know you get up there and you just look out on the audience and they're just sitting there and they're like motherfucker I just paid 40 bucks to sit here you better make me laugh yeah or this drink is going in your face I, I, you and know? you stand up as well I know how do you enjoy and, and, it See, I got lucky because I, I started stand up in a supportive environment, mm -hmm. meaning mostly cafes. And cafes, okay. you don't really, you know, yeah. crowds are easy. Exactly. But once I started doing the bars. But, but I wouldn't say cafes are easy. I don't think stand up is easy at all. I right. think it's one of the most difficult things you can possibly do. You're up there alone, you're putting yourself up there to, out the, to be judged, and it's immediate. You know immediately if they like you, and you, or you know immediately if they just fucking detest you. Right. But I think in comparison to cafes and bars, though, because with bars, I'm not. I'm dealing with drunks. Yeah. I'm dealing with people who, who are not even there for the comedy. Right. And who have no problem at all punching you in the face right. if you offend them. Yeah. You know. And don't worry, you're right. Every crowd is hard. Every crowd, you know, in general, is just. Uh, I heard story. I heard nightmare stories from comedians from San Jose going to New York, and you know, there's a big territorial thing, and they start, you know, in the middle of your act, they'll shut off the lights to fuck with you. Really? It's like, oh my god. Well, I got I got lucky because I didn't. Uh, I, that none of that happened to me. I just I had a couple tough crowds, um, but no, I was never really heckled or had any of that crap happen to me. So, oh, uh, so I I had it lucky. But yeah, I've I've heard horror stories. How long have you been doing it? I only did it for about a year or so. What clubs were you hitting up? Mostly a place called Stand Up New York on the Upper West Side. Okay. That ha doesn't have to be the one that uh, Lewis Black ran a while back. Did uh, he? he didn't. Uh, I don't know which one he ran, but he didn't. I don't think he ran that one when okay. I was doing it. I mean, this was a long time ago before you were even born. In the eighties. Yeah. And this was in the sixties. Sixties. No, oh, not that old. No. Uh, this was in right around two thousand, two thousand one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. By then he was. Oh, I mean, actually, I'm sorry. This was about two thousand two, two thousand three, two thousand two. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay. And and did you make friends doing stand up? No, I, I didn't make friends through stand-up. Uh, a, a lot of my friends would come through to see me. I was doing some TV writing uh, for some crappy shows, and so I had a lot of those people would come and support me, yeah. and friends that I met uh, you know, previously that would come and support me. So I had a, I had a, I had a supportive crowd uh, that, that would be there. But no, I didn't really make any friends. Although there was one guy who, uh, this old guy, he was in his sixties and he lived in upstate New York at Woodstock in Saugerties, New York. And, uh, he would fly down in his private plane from upstate New York down to, down to Manhattan every, every other week. And to do stand up, to do a five, 10 minute set. And, oh, Jesus. and every week he would fly down in his private plane. And finally I, I was, I was wondering what the hell he did. How does, how does he do this? What's a 60 something year old guy in a private plane doing this? So I asked him what he did and he told me he wrote about 400, 500 porn films. He was a porn writer and he made a fortune doing it. 
and and I, I, I pressed him over and over again. Was this a joke? Is this a bit? And he's like, no, I'm dead serious. That's how I made my money. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think porn now is different, but back in the 90s, 80s, uh, 70s, porn had a narrative to them to they, a certain weird way. They were like, oh, the the, the, the pizza guy is here. Right. Exactly. Somebody had to write that. Exactly. The large sausage pie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And somebody yeah. did have to write it. And there were some stories. Not that I know, but I've heard about it. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know what these stories are, but, but friends, you know, quote friends right. would tell me about it. But um, now, from what I see, you know, first of all, attention spans are gone. But there used to be an art to it. And there are actually a lot of cinematographers and directors and people who actually started in pornography. My first, yeah. my first uh, film teacher in undergrad was a cinematographer for pornography. Yeah, that's so common today. I hear a lot of young students who move to L.A., they're like, you know, I can't get jobs because they want experience. Yeah. And to get experience, you got to hit the porn sets. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Anything to make a money, you know, anything <laughs> to make a buck. You know, whatever you're editing, whatever you're shooting, you know, if you can make a living in this business, then you're all right, you know. <laughs> you no matter what you it might is. have to go through the money shot first. Exactly. Exactly. Now, so let me go back before you did stand-up because by this time you were, you were already into film, TV, writing. Yes. Now, you mentioned that you wanted to be a veterinarian. I did, yes. Uh, what's the story behind that? I don't know. I always... I always kind of really liked, I always grew up with dogs, and I just liked animals more than people. I always, I always, I always had a hard time, not hard time connecting to people, but dogs just, and animals were just unconditional love, and mm-hmm. I loved that, and, and I just wanted to work with them. I wasn't, I didn't want to be a doctor. I worked one summer uh, as a hospital transporter, and there was like, and after seeing stuff and being around it, I was like, "There's no fucking way I want to be a doctor." My dad, of course, as a as a Jewish doctor, <laughs> and wanted me to be a doctor, you know. And uh, so I figured, okay, veterinarian is close enough, and I loved animals. That would be it. Uh-huh. And yeah, no, that, that you, dream died hard. Were you writing anything during this time? I was always somewhat of a writer, and okay. even in high school, I was a terrible student. You know, so anyone who's listening to this if you're a terrible student be careful because you might end up a teacher and <laughs> I and you know karma bit me in the ass yeah. and, and so so the thing is that um, yeah I I, uh, I just I just really sort of enjoyed doing it and I, I and I always enjoyed writing and even in when I had to do academic papers like I said in college when I had to do this lab report I wrote a short story about it when I was in high school we'd have to do um you know, history papers and science paper and all of the, you know, just essays and papers. I have, I had no interest. I was, I, I get bored so easily. Um, in fact, I'm just bored of myself right now. So hopefully this is not too dull, but, uh, um, but I got, I get bored really easily. And so writing dull essay papers were just uninteresting to me. And so I would write one-liners in there. I would put asides in there and I'd always get in trouble for sort of taking creative liberties within these strict academic essays. Mm -hmm. And I had one teacher, her name was Penny Wagner. I don't, I lost touch with her years ago, but she's the one who truly inspired me to follow my, my heart and to follow writing because she said, no matter what you do, don't lose my voice as a writer and don't, don't let sort of the world of academia sort of crush my creativity and and she encouraged me she loved the asides that I would write in and the jokes that I would write in and the you know the the little anecdotes that I'd put in you know and 
I might be writing a, a, a story about, you know, uh, writing an essay about the, the, the Acropolis or something, and I'd, and I'd start putting in jokes about dogs, whatever it was, you know, talking about dogs, and, and cleaning garages and just go off on these crazy tangents that had nothing to do with anything. And she, she loved it, and she encouraged that. And it was the only class that I ever got A's in was in her class. And, and I always remembered that, and, and, that's, and that really inspired me to continue being a writer. Okay. And you mentioned the word of academia. Do you feel there's a certain um, academia in screenwriting that can hinder someone's voice? Well, in a way, yes, but in a way, no. It's sort of kind of a loaded question because screenwriting, you're so limited to how you can write a screenplay. You can only write sound, sight and sound. You, you don't have the luxury of an omniscient point of view. You know, you can't... You can't go into what the the internal, what the character is thinking on the inside, unless you have voiceover. But that's just a, a lazy a, form of writing. A lazy form of writing. Yeah. Um, so, and you're you're limited to a page count. You're limited to a format. Yeah. And you're limited to how you can write it, and and sort of the rules and structure and all of that. So on one hand, it limits that, but at the same time it encourages you to be even more creative because you have such limitations. So to be original, given such strict conventions you have to follow and limitations, to be original requires even more creativity and more imagination and more resourcefulness than, and more originality than writing any kind of other, doing any other kind of writing. You know, I truly believe. So yes, there is an academic aspect to it, but there's also this incredible freedom to just really tap into that in, in, imagination that you have and just go freaking hog wild with it and you mentioned the voice as a writer yeah that's something i learned in stand-up as well mm -hmm. it's, it takes a long time to develop a voice yeah absolutely in, in anything creative mm -hmm. um have you felt like that journey w w was short for you well no you know i believe a voice is always evolving mm -hmm. you know i used to be a very broad comedy writer i was very broad comedy um and slapsticky and jokey joke and all of that and i've I've become much darker, <laughs> maybe as I've become more jaded and as life has smacked me in the ass over and over again. Yeah. Um, you know, I've become a little more jaded. I've become a little darker. I've, I've sort of moved to a little bit more drama. Um, but uh, so I think the voice is always is always going to be evolving as as one evolves. Um, but. But it did it didn't take me long to figure out who I was as a writer. Um, at the beginning and as I go th as I've gone through certain steps I mean I first started studying screenwriting in 1994 and so it's been a long time what is that 20 years 22 years or something like that I'm bad at math I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll take your word too. for it yeah you yeah. shouldn't be a veterinarian either <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah like 20 22 years or something like that and all of the different stages of my life have had very different voices and there have been scripts that I've that I've written in the past that I wanted to go that I written years ago that I've wanted to go back and been like, oh, okay, you know what, that was kind of a fun script, let's go back. And I realized that my sensibility has completely changed. I'm not interested in working on that anymore. You know, so it's constantly evolving. And, but during those periods of my life, I, I, I think, I mean, what do I know? But I, I think I, I knew what my voice was during all of those phases and all mm -hmm. those stages of what I was going through. Okay. It's of a bit how you transitioned from veterinarian to, to film. Uh -huh. So you went to school, you weren't digging it, but this teacher it. told you, hey, you have great writing. That, that was stop. high school. That was high school. That wasn't college. That was in high school. Okay. And then yeah. you graduated high school. Mm -hmm. Yes, I did. Barely. <laughs> and you go to college. Uh-huh. How was that experience for you? College was, 
<laughs> uh, I hope my parents aren't listening. But college was both wonderful and it was tough. I went to a small sort of elite private college in upstate New York called Hamilton College, uh, considered sort of one of the little Ivies um, in a way, and just a really, really intensive school, intense school. And I just didn't fit in there. I played hockey all the time. I was in a fraternity. I just wanted to party and hang out and drink beer and play and just have a good time. And it wasn't because I was of any other reason. I was just bored with what I was doing. I wasn't, nothing I was doing was really my passion at all. And so I was, so on one hand, I had a lot of fun in my first two and a half years at Hamilton, but it was also pretty miserable. It was also really incredibly miserable to just constantly be failing at everything that I was trying to do, except for having fun. I, I was I, I was an A-plus fun haver, you know, if <laughs> yeah. that was a class. You know, and I had fun because I was also, um, uh, I with with one other person, I ran the, the College Humor publication, and that was a lot of, that was a great time. And so there were some great things and there were some really horrible things. And when I left, and I was put on academic probation, and and I basically left because my parents were like, "Fuck this, I ain't paying." And this again was in 1991. I'm not paying 25,000 bucks a year for you to go and fuck around. Right. And um, and I was gonna go be a ski instructor up in Canada. And my mom, I was living on Long Island at the time, and my mom. Uh, handed me the local college brochure, which was this big, thick book, sort of like the Anza, sort of like a community college, but it was a four-year university called uh, New York Institute of Technology. And she just handed me the brochure, and again, through kismet, through luck, whatever, coincidence, whatever it may be, she said, go, she said, take a class, anything you, take a class in something you've never, ever thought of doing before, something you've never even considered or didn't even know they had. And if it doesn't take, if you don't love what you're doing, then go ahead next year and, and go teach skiing. And so I opened up the course catalog, and the first thing I opened to, and it was thick, it was a thick book, and the first thing I opened up to was film and television. I was like, holy crap, you can study this shit? This was before you could get film schools anywhere. You know, there were right. a few film schools, and this was one of them. And I opened it up, I was like, wow, I didn't know you could study this. I didn't know anything about film. I loved going to movies. I love going to movies. Didn't go that often because my parents were strict, and it was like, if you want to go to a movie, you better read for a couple hours first. And I was like, God damn it! And so, <laughs> so I would read, and by the time I was re I was done reading, I was asleep. So much for going to the damn movies. Right. Um, but I love going to the movies, and when I realized you could actually study this, uh -huh. I I immediately signed up for a class, and and it completely changed my life. And the rest is history. And the rest is the rest is film history. So, how did you make the move from New York to L.A.? Um, well, I was working on a crappy, crappy television show, and uh, oh, so you were already interning? No, I was. I was writing. I, I started when I was. I went to. I transferred out of my first college into film in in 1994. Okay. And um, and I I was interning. My first internship was in 1994 uh, in the post production department at Lifetime Television in Queens. How was that? Yeah, that well, it was it was it was interesting. You yeah. know, it was great. It wasn't a sexy internship at all, uh -huh. but they gave me tasks and I learned and I realized and they were kind of boring. But what they did is they handed me, this is Lifetime Television had purchased all of, I forgot what network it was, but the entire series of Unsolved Mysteries. I don't know if you remember that show, that was before your time. Okay. Um, 
And what I had to do was they handed me all the tapes and because the formats and commercial breaks and all of that was very different for the Lifetime uh, format versus NBC or CBS, whatever it originally aired on, I had to re basically re-edit the show in order to fit this program. And I realized that I realized afterwards that it was really my first true sort of lessons in not screenwriting per se, but storytelling. Yeah, editing. Uh, is editing storytelling. editing yeah. is absolutely storytelling. You know, it's it's editing is an amazing thing. I loved editing. I can't do I'm a technophobe. So but I love when I was in film school, I loved editing film, film strip on movieolas and steambecks. Uh, I loved actually handling the film. Once it transitioned to digital, I can't do computers. I just found out about a double <laughs> click on, on my iPad like the other day that I've had for five years. You know, total technophobe, but I loved editing because it was storytelling. Yeah. And you have to bring out work on pacing and, and tension and release and, and, and all of that. You know, so I, I really, really did love the editing portion of it. And so I learned about storytelling from editing at first. And then I and then I got jobs as a production assistant for a number of years and I was working as a production assistant and intern first an intern and then they hired me as a PA uh, for the Chris Rock show and then a bunch of other TV shows and is yeah. that when you got into stand up? No, I got into stand up um, when I was working on a show called Shipmates, which was if you ever heard of Chris Hardwick. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So this is after Chris Rock show. This was after Chris Rock show. Chris oh, Rock okay. show was about 1997, 98. You know, all the years are blending into each other now. Yeah, I heard the Chris Rock show. I mean, I haven't seen it, but I heard stories about it. Yeah, how it, it was a great show. I yeah. mean, I loved Chris Rock and. You know, it was very interesting. Excuse me, let me take a sip of water here. Uh, go ahead. Mm. Ah, delicious. And so, um, Chris Rock's show was amazing. Uh, first of all, the first lesson that I tell people is you have to be, and, and I learned this, you know, and, and luckily I, I think, I, I believe I've always been a relatively nice guy. Now there are times I've been an asshole and treated people really badly and, you know, and, and, and just been a jerk. But for the most part, you know, I'm human, but I, I think I'm a nice guy. And, and I remember there was one day I was coming back from grad school in, in New York and I'd been making a film and I was carrying a bunch of film canisters and I was sitting on the bus back to the Bronx from Manhattan and and there was a gentleman who walked onto the bus who was wearing an HBO jacket. And we started talking. He saw the film strips, I saw the HBO jacket, and, and we just started talking about film. And he was working for HBO and, and blah, blah, blah. Well, a year later, I heard that Chris, Chris was doing a show. And I was, I was always a fan of Chris Rock. And he was doing a show. And so I was like, okay, I was working part-time. I was in school full-time and doing a lot of stuff. I was really busy, but I knew I wanted to intern on his show. So I called them up and I asked if they were taking, if they had interns and, he, and this person answered the phone. And I'm talking to him for a few minutes, asking about internships and this and that. And I recognized his voice. And I said, can I ask you a question? Do you live in the Bronx? Do you live in Riverdale? And he said, yeah. I said, I don't know if you remember me. I, I, I said, I don't know if you remember me, but it was about a year ago. I was going to the New School for Social Research, which is the grad school I was at. And I was on the bus with some, some film strips and we were talking for a while. And he said, oh my God, I do remember you. And because I was nice, because I engaged him, he took my resume and put it on top of the pile. And I got this internship. So the first lesson, you know, one of the first lessons is you've got to be nice because you never know who you know, who you're going to run into, who knows who. It's a small, it seems like it's a huge business, but it's actually small and everybody knows everybody. It's pretty incestuous. So you really have to be nice. Mm -hmm. um, and so 
you know, so I got this internship and it was an amazing thing because there was Wanda Sykes who was a writer on that show, Louis C.K. was a writer on that show, Ali Leroy was a writer on that show, obviously Chris Rock and a whole bunch of brilliant comedians. And it was just, an, and, and it was incredibly inspiring. Yeah. And as an intern in a PA, I had a couple of, I met a bunch of people who ultimately one of the producers on the Chris Rock show was the first person to give my, to give me um, my first break as a writer years later um, and had hired me throughout. And it's one of those things too, where if you work your ass off and people see that, they'll keep hiring you. And so I wrote on the side and I was inspired to write and I wrote samples and this and that and I was constantly writing and finally I got a, you know, a break as a, as a writer. And, you know, granted it was a History Channel game show. Um, but the important thing is you were part of the writer's room. It was great. And that's hard to get into in itself. I, I loved it. You know, I loved it. the History Channel game show, the various shows that I wrote on. Yeah. Even working in development when I was at Adam Sandler's company, when I was in L.A. on a film, I loved I was working with, with really good people. I loved being in the writer's room. You know, you got people that are being just creative and throwing yeah. out ideas. It's really exciting. And that's the thing I learned, too. Like, I, I right now I run and produce a, a comedy show every Wednesday night at Cafe for Scotty downtown. Oh, no kidding. And I'm trying to develop it as if I'm running a Saturday Night Live show. Oh, that's brilliant. Meaning, you know, we do sketches, improv, and stuff like that. Well, you got to let me know when you're doing and, this so I can go see. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. But the thing, the, the new thing that I started, long story short, mm -hmm. is I, I got the room back because some drama happened. But I got right. it back. I was like, I can't do it alone. I need to collaborate. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, I, I looked into a bit how shows were run on TV and stuff. And I was like, I need a group of writers. Like, yeah. sure, we're nobodies, but I think we could do something here. As long as we're creative and have the drive. You and know? sure enough, I got a select few people who are not just comedians, but come from different... And I think that's the best thing about comedy writers is that they come from different backgrounds. Yeah. So when we get there and we start, you know, developing jokes or concepts... It's always so much fun when you're like bouncing off ideas of each other, yeah. and before you know it, you got this fucking great like joke in front of you mm -hmm. that is like we all played a part in. Yeah, it's 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 very satisfying and it's really enjoyable and it, it really fires you up when you feed on people's energies and. And uh, how long you been in the uh, writers' room before you you went on to film, or were you doing film at the same time? No, okay. So I was I was a PA for a long time, and then I I wrote for a couple TV shows, which I'm not going to get into because they were crap. And this is New York, and and, <laughs> I, and and I'm embarrassed by them. But they, but they, but you know what? They, but they paid the bills, and I right. learned a whole hell of a lot, uh -huh. you know. And so I remember I was you know it was nine eleven, and I, I I was pretty close downtown, and I was on top of the. Um, I was on top of my building and I watched the second tower collapse and I knew somebody was in there and and it was it was just completely heartbreaking and obviously and it really kind of messed with my head for a while and it was at that time that I decided that I wanted to, I, I quit writing for television want, didn't want to do any more I didn't want to write for shows and projects that I didn't believe in anymore so what were and we doing at the time then? It was a show at that time it was a TV show called Shipmates, uh -huh. which was like a blind date show, blind date reality dating show that was set on a cruise ship. And it was with, again, a comedian from the Nerdist called Chris Hardwick was the host. And um, and I I didn't fit in that in that show. It was very it was very different. It didn't fit my mold. I had a good time. I learned a lot um, and it, it paid decent money. And. But I wasn't into it, and I didn't believe in the show. It was I felt like I felt like just a money whore, you know. It was it was just something to do, and but I learned a lot, you know. I really learned a lot, and there were some great great comedy writers that I was working with, uh, no one famous, but just some really great brilliant comic minds, 
and and I learned a lot from them but when I saw the towers go down and it, it just really really affected me I didn't want to you know things are precious life is precious you know and, and I didn't want to write time is precious I didn't want to write for the money and I, I wanted to write for what I projects that I believed in so I ended up uh, quitting television I wrote a script um, realized it was god-awful realized it was god-awful and then um, I went to the bookstore and uh, I went to the bookstore in Lincoln Center, it was Barnes and Noble, and I was picking up books on screenwriting because I realized I was at a table read with the actors and, and it was just god awful. Every, every line, I was just, as we were going through it, I was just crossing out every line. And by page five, I was like, okay, this is so bad. Yeah. By page 40, I was like, fuck this. By page 60, I was ready to hang uh, myself. I'm glad and, I'm not the only one who feels this way. Oh, God, no. No, it was brutal. <laughs> it was so bad. It was so bad. I have it sitting on my desk, and every once in a while, you know, uh, I'll pick it up if I want just a good laugh. Um, but I picked up all these books and all of the teach, all the, all the writers and authors of these books were all UCLA teachers. And I'd known that, you know, any people that are familiar with film schools knew that, know that UCLA is the best school in the world for screenwriting, has the best reputation for screenwriting in the world. And at that point I said, why am I reading their books? Why don't I just go there? And, or, you know, why don't I just apply there? And I remember running home that night, I'm going to apply to UCLA, see what they're, and I looked it up. I, I went onto my dial-up modem and, no, did I dial-up at the time? Yeah, I think I dial-up. You know, I went on the dial-up modem, I did the research, and it was three days before the application deadline. And so I collected everything. I got people that had hired me to write recommendations. I wrote a personal essay. You know, it was almost like divine intervention because the, the personal essay was also one of the best things that I'd ever written and it just came right out of me. I was like diarrhea, but the perfect diarrhea, <laughs> the best kind of diarrhea. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and it worked and somehow, somehow, you know, I was one of the few privileged people to get in and that's what brought me to Los Angeles. Wow, and then how was that experience studying at UCLA? Oh, it was an amazing. I mean, it, it changed my life. I mean, I worked with, I, I worked on, not not worked under, but I studied under some incredible, incredible teachers and some incredible classmates and writers. And, uh, you know, and, and it, it was intense. Every 10 weeks, you have to write a feature-length screenplay. And Every 10 weeks. Every 10 weeks, you have to write a feature-length screenplay. Those it's are the exhausting. screenplays I'm working on. And some of them have been there for almost a year. Yeah, try doing Here's... those in 10 weeks. Well, first of all, I admire that you're doing that. You know, that's great. Um, well, I have to, or else I'll not do it. Like, yeah. You get treated like work, like you mentioned before. Yeah, you do. And as my as one of my mentors, uh, Hal Ackerman, says, you know, you got to put the tush in the cush and just do it. You know, put your ass in the seat and just do it. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's great. We're looking at a window where he has index cards of the titles of his screenplays yeah, uh, taped and, up. And I got the beat sheet that you taught me. See, it's all Oh, there. nice. Look at that. Yeah. Look at that. The shit that I did teach actually stuck. That's great. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, well, you know. Wait, Ten weeks I had to write a feature. Oh, it was intense. It was, it was very intense every week for two years. And, and it was great. And by, you know, and, and I got lucky because at the end of my first year, I had written a script and I'd gotten a literary manager and we worked on it over the summer. And in October, he had sent it out throughout Hollywood. And by November, I was in development on the script at Adam Sandler's company. Mm. And then from that, I was working on Adam on this on the script at Happy Madison for a long time, from about November through June, and it looked like he was going. And then you know, as Hollywood always happens, you know, it didn't. Um, but then I had development meetings, and and I was working on projects with five other places, and 
and it was and 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 at pretty high levels of development on five other projects and it was an amazing an amazing an amazing experience and and it all happened because of UCLA where I learned to where I learned to write mm-hmm. where I learned really learned to write and it was funny because Hal Ackerman who's uh, just retired but was the co-chair of the of the program I remember I had a class with him the first the first year and I'd been writing television and stand-up comedy and so I was sort of a joke writer and he and I didn't know anything about real long storytelling you know feature-length storytelling and he took me to task and I was sort of I was intimidated by the other students as you were you know because mm-hmm. there were some brilliant brilliant writers there and but he took me to task and I was ready to quit after the first quarter because I was like I have no idea how to write this and then one day uh, one day about three months later I woke up and I was like holy shit this is how you do it and I immediately buckled down and I did it and it just all came clear and and that next script I wrote is what got me a whole lot of attention usually happens in the middle of the night it, yeah. it does yes yeah. yeah it was great I used to bother my ex-girlfriend a lot yeah <laughs> yeah I would wake up and, and write notes and, and my ex-wife you know would get annoyed and you know it was funny there'd be times where I'd be lying on the couch trying to come up with stuff uh-huh. you know and my ex-wife oh can you go do this can you go do that and I was like no I'm working and she's like no you're sitting there you're just lying there I was like no I'm fucking working yeah you know at the and, same way yeah. you're just typing words yeah you're exactly. not working yeah. it's like you don't understand yeah you don't understand <laughs> and then you know eventually it didn't work out but anyway and then, yeah exactly <laughs> and eventually there's divorce yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay and so and then you finished UCLA finished UCLA how'd you end up at De Anza? um <laughs> again I don't know if it was Kismet or not I had I got I got destroyed by Hollywood. Like I said, there looked like there were going to be about five movies that I was going to be getting done, and they all completely fell apart. And then, and then I was I was hooked up with somebody where I was I got screwed again. I was writing some some scripts for an A list screenwriter, and he hired me as as a writer to write for some stuff, and I ended up getting screwed in a big big way. Is that common? Do you think? Oh, I'm for, sure it's for writers from, um, specifically. Yeah, I'm sure for everybody. Everybody gets screwed, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and he had given me a lot of promises and credit and and all this stuff, and it just didn't really. It yeah, it it didn't happen. The guy the guy cheated me basically out of a lot of out of a lot of stuff, and I was at this low point, and you know, and it's funny because I mean, it's not well. It's funny now, yeah. but. Um, <laughs> So everything that I had that I'd been working for that looked like it, I mean, I had, I had people at the studios giving me uh, business cards to real estate agents in Malibu because I was going to be the next big thing, you know, no joke. And, and then it all is taken away from you. And just, it's always just hard like when that. you're you're given such a high. Yeah, and and, and it was a, just a free fall, and it was such a, it was such an amazing thing. And I remember that. One day I was a, I was a I was a manager of a softball team with my with a bunch of my UCLA classmates. We were the Bad News Bruins, and um, and I remember I I had completely destroyed my leg. I broke my leg. I had to get surgery to put wires in my ankle, and and so it like things just couldn't have gotten worse. And needed money and needed all of these things. And my 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 wife at the time she had switched careers. She was a History Channel TV producer. And she switched careers into into public relations because at the same time that I was being promised all this all this tremendous amounts of money and, and success, she decided to switch careers. She took a huge pay cut. And so now we were kind of screwed because I had lost everything. And now on top of that, 
Luckily, I had insurance, but it was a $60,000 surgery that I still had to pay $12,000 for. Now, I didn't have that. I didn't have a, a pot to piss in at the time because, you know, and uh, and I called up somebody that I, that I knew who ran a temp agency. And I said, look, I'm on crutches and tremendous amounts of Percocet, <laughs> and <laughs> but I need a job. Is there anything I can do? And they set me up as a receptionist at Lionsgate, and it was completely... It was so humbling because I had had an assistant, even when I was writing on the History Channel show, we had a writer's assistant. And that writer's assistant had gone on, is now like a four-time Emmy Award winner at, on The Daily Show. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I tell my TAs, like, you, you, you're my assistant, one day you can, you can get yeah. a couple Emmys yourself. You know, uh, <laughs> false promises, but what do they know? Right. And so, <laughs> you know, suckers. And, you know, it keeps them going, it shuts them up, right? It shuts them up, it shuts them up. <laughs> you know, I don't pay you, but one day, one day you too. You know, be surprised can, though, at the, it might not be an Emmy, I think it's, there's some victories along the way that yeah. are good to have. They are. But, but, and, ahead, and no, and it was interesting because so I was sitting there and this was a miserable, miserable thing. But I stopped feeling sorry for myself as a, as a there. And what I was doing is I was doing some consulting. I was doing some consulting on people's scripts. People would come to me before they go to their agents, and I, you know, and some people would pay me. Some people, people friends of mine, I do pro bono, and and you know, I was consulting, and people were doing pretty well, and I really, really enjoyed it. But what I was also doing is I was writing. Uh, doing a lot of writing and I realized my well my ex-wife she wanted me to have health insurance after that leg fiasco we're like we need some freaking health insurance and you need a steady income and I wasn't having it and so I decided I really like consulting and one of the reasons why I, I wanted my my MFA was perhaps one day to teach because I was inspired by my film teachers over the years that maybe one day I can do the same thing and give back in some way but I never really thought of teaching because I was in the writer's world and that's sort of the mentality that I had was being in Los Angeles and being a screenwriter you know and I was sort of stuck in that little box and she said well why don't you why don't you teach I was like that okay it's a good idea so I was sitting behind the receptionist desk looking at teaching jobs and one of the one of the jobs was uh, De Anza and I applied and somehow I got the job and okay. came up here. I want to transition to sure. something different. And that it's I've noticed that comedy is a huge part of your life. It is. Well, I'm a Jew, you, you know. Do, do you feel it's genetically because you're a Jew? Well, it's genetically because I'm Jewish. I mean, I know some unfunny Jews, you know. There aren't too many of them, well, but... I think Jews played a big part in the comedy scene in film and in stand-up. Oh, well, I mean, Jews started in, in you know, in, in vaudeville, you know, yeah. being funny in vaudeville. So, you know, I mean, but Jews have always been known to be funny. I mean, and that's the thing is that, you know, there is the Jewish humor and there's a history of Jewish humor of through the pain that they've experienced throughout their lives. Oh, yeah. You know, and... Um, how do you do that? They didn't have the strength. They didn't have the numbers to fight back against all the, the oppression, anti-Semitism they've gone through the beginning of time, through the Inquisition, through the pogroms in Russia, through you know World War II and everything. And how did they deal with it? By being funny. Yeah. And I have Jewish joke books of jokes that go back so many years. So did and you feel you use comedy as a coping mechanism? It, absolutely, it's a coping mechanism. It's a defense mechanism. You know, it's a coping mechanism, absolutely. You know, I mean, there have been some tragedies that I've been through and lost some people and things and, and, and just had really, really rough times. And that's what you have. You have comedy, you know, to, to sort of get you through it. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my grandmother was an Auschwitz survivor, you know, and had some mm -hmm. horror stories. And, you know, and, and to be able to occasionally laugh about that or, or laugh about 
trauma and drama that's gone on in my life and absolutely you know and and luckily you know I don't think I'm that funny but luckily some people do you know and uh you know and and whatever that's kind of how I deal with stuff plus you know honestly there's no greater sound than a good laugh I mean my favorite sound in the world is is right now and you know and and is my girlfriend's laugh you know I love it if I can make her laugh you know so I feel it's laugh. so great you know I love it and uh so yeah it, comedy's always been a part of my life you know it's always been that way and my parents were tough and strict and there was a lot of yelling in the house and the way to sort of get out of trouble was to be funny and to ease the tension and and uh, you know, and luckily I was I was able to do it and that's that's how I found it. Do you have any siblings? I do have a younger sister. Who, younger sister. Who is uh, a an actor right a screenwriter in, in LA as well. So, so I, my I, parents my <laughs> parents just completely failed at turning us into the kids that they wanted us to be. I, I yeah. was about to ask, how did your parents take that? Dude it seems for the most part, maybe perhaps not at the time you didn't feel like it. But especially your mom, she seems somewhat supportive. Of my, well, you, you know what, my dad was my dad was a very fearful person because he so badly, like most parents, they want all parents, they want their kids to become successful and to do well. And my dad knew the world of academia, and he knew. And my dad had polio when he was young. He didn't have any money. He was super poor, and he worked himself up to be successful. Now, not rich because he stayed in the world of academia, which pisses me off. Why couldn't you have gone into private practice, Dad? Um, <laughs> but he stayed in the world of academia, and he was super successful at what he did, just super successful. And he knew the path that he took to go from having nothing to having the life that he wanted. And But he was very sort of stuck in 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 the box that he was in and he didn't understand the creative mind he didn't understand the direction I wanted to go and because I was an academic failure it scared the living bejesus out of him and so once I decided to start studying film God that destroyed him oh, that yeah. destroyed him I mean, he had no idea what to do with that it freaked him out in such a terrible way now my mom was always about you know follow your heart follow your bliss you know that whole thing and do what you love to do but she was concerned too and it all stopped, you know, and, and even when I was in film school and doing all these things, my dad every day, well, you know, it's not too late to become a dentist. It's not too late to go back to school to study science and I math. I get that a lot too. You do, yeah. of course, you know. And, uh, and it stopped once I got my first writer's paycheck and I was like, dad, stop. And I sort of, I, I held up the paycheck and I was like, look, <laughs> relax, yeah. I'm gonna be okay. Oh, and, wow. then it, and then it stopped. But now they're super supportive. Yeah. Now they're super supportive. Fascinating. Yeah. Who who are some of your uh, influence and inspirations in general? In general, well, my dad is my dad is is a huge influence in my life. You know, uh, despite how tough he was, I mean, he's an amazing, amazing man. Um, my mom too is is brilliant and just a really strong, strong personality. Uh, but as far as writing goes, I was my my favorite writers. You know, and I said this in my and it was funny. Um, when I got called for the interview um, in New York to get into UCLA, it was the worst interview that I'd, I'd ever had. I, I thought that I'd completely blown it. But during the interview, um, and I had studied screenwriting, to go into the interview, I'd studied authors, I'd studied screenwriters. It didn't occur to me start studying, uh, uh, to start uh, to study uh, playwrights. Mm. And so when we got in there, they started asking me about, they said, and, and I was nervous, and, and this was like halfway through, we were talking, and I kept screwing up answers. And, and I was just getting more and more nervous. And, and at one point, they said, okay, what's your favorite Arthur Miller play? 
and I just completely froze. And of course, you know, Death of a Salesman. Oh, you know, dude, at the that, very that's least, a big influence yeah. on me. And and it was funny because I just completely had a massive brain fart. And the and the interview was in a hotel room in the theater district of New York. So I sort of leaned back in my chair, looked out the window, hoping to God there was a poster <laughs> for some Broadway Arthur Miller play. No such luck. There was nothing. And I was like, and I said, I, I, I you know what? I can't think of one right now. They said, okay, well, what about Eugene O'Neill? I was like, fuck, that's even worse. And then, of course, later on, it's like, Iceman Cometh, you know, uh, and I, I could have come up with that. So once again, I leaned back in my chair, hoping to God there was a Eugene O'Neill poster out there. Sure enough, there fucking wasn't. And so I was just I was just blowing it and then finally they said well good thing we're not going to ask you about Chekhov then and I was like yeah it's a good thing and I had what I thought what I guess probably turned them in my favor was I said look I, I don't I didn't study theater I don't know theater I wasn't a literary guy but what influenced me to become a writer and to get into film were Woody Allen and Mel Brooks mm. those were my biggest sort of influences and, and there were a lot of other writers and comedy writers and old comedy writers who I liked, like uh, S.J. Perlman and Robert, uh, uh, Robert Benchley, mm -hmm. and uh, even, even silly writers like Dave Barry, you know, and, so, and, and a lot of stand-up comedians uh, really, really influenced me as well. And so uh, those, those, were, those were my big, but Mel Brooks and Woody Allen were really my big sort of influences in terms of getting into this, this racket. Yeah, well, Woody Allen's a big influence of mine. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm glad that you like those classics. Well, it makes sense. It's just people my age usually don't really look into that stuff, and it's fascinating to hear from you. I'm glad. I, yeah. I you know, I'm glad. <laughs> fascinating is a strong word, but I'll take it. You know, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 interesting. You know, and um, yeah, I mean Woody Allen's. I mean Woody Allen. It, Woody Allen's his work is just forget about the personal side, the personal right. aspect of his right. life, because you know that that's we're, a we're judging story. his work. Yeah, we're judging his work. I mean, it's brilliant. The you know the the range that he has is just is just mind blowing. You know, and the and the how prolific he is is just mind blowing and inspiring. And and God, if I could have one one hundredth of the talent and the the discipline that he has, you know. God, it would be amazing, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I want to dwell a little bit into your creative process. Can, okay. can you go through that? How, how do you go from what's here in your head to the page? Oh, Jesus. Um, well, a lot of daydreaming. A lot of daydreaming. And, uh, and then it just becomes about just getting your ass in the chair and, and just writing it out. I mean, I don't really have much of a process. Now as far as like writing a screenplay, I'll come up with the idea, then I'll go into a log line and then I'll go and I'll write a little synopsis or a treatment and then I'll do a beat sheet and then I'll do scene lists, you know, and scene log lines and all of that and then I'll get into the final pages. So as far as the technical aspect of my process, that's what it is. Um, but as far as, you know, my creative process is um, and more recently I've been trying to really do as much writing as I can and really forcing myself and I, I am really busy. Um, so it sometimes is hard to, to squeeze time in there, but I, I've been trying to do my best to do so. And that's really what it is. The creative process for me is just sitting down and doing it. And even when I have nothing to write or I've, I feel like I have nothing going on, I'll just have a journal and I'll just free write. Mm. And I'll just, I'll just free write. I'll just do some journaling. And, and that, that seems to really, really help. And even if it's not being 
productive in terms of writing a screenplay and moving forward with that, it's at least being creative and sort of tapping into myself and, and brainstorming or, or coming up with whatever, you know? So that's kind of my, 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 uh, my process. And I tell people when they come in with writer's block, which I've had for years, um, I know I'm over that now, but uh, you know, is really just free write and just write anything, you know? And, and that's kind of my, pro what's your process? Uh, very similar. Uh only until recently am I taking free writing seriously. Like before, I used to laugh at it. Like I used to mm -hmm. like, oh come on. Dude. Yeah, I know it sounds hokey. Yeah, it does. And, and but recently, it's the only real way for me to focus on the story I want to tell mm -hmm. is to do some shitty synopsis of it. Yeah, absolutely. And then you go into the ideas. Yeah, but me, uh, as far as writer's block, I do other things. Like oh, I can't write screenplay, but hey, I'll write poetry. Right. I'll write a short story. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I'll get into stand-up music stuff like that. Yeah. And then before you know it, I'm like, you know what? Look, I'm ready to write a story now, and I go back. To See, it. I think that's great. I think it's I, I think it's really really important to have other to have other avenues of things that may not be creative even but but finding something that you're passionate about when when you find I started playing hockey again I was I played hockey a lot in college and then you know quit for a long time and I started playing hockey again and I love it and I find myself when I'm out there or when I during the summer when I do stand-up paddling you know and I just get into that zone and even though it's not being creative I'm able to tap in because I find something that I'm passionate about and able to take that passion and translate it and there are times where after hockey after a good session or after a good uh, stand-up paddle uh, I, I really, really get into it. I have a writing partner now who's, well, uh, as I mentioned, uh, uh, my lady friend, but also another writing partner who uh, was a friend of mine, John, from UCLA, and he moved up here as well, and we're writing a bunch of short films together, and collaboration is also a great sort of way to get into creative process, like you with your writer's room, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, that's a great way to have process, of creative pro by, by bouncing ideas off of each other and really getting into it with somebody else you know that that really helps too yeah. and my mentor again I keep saying mentor but Hal Ackerman who I mentioned before uh, he always said that screenwriting is a three drug process and you smoke the marijuana to, to get the inspiration and right. to get the ideas you do the cocaine to have the to have the wherewithal to just sit there and crank the shit out of that script just to get it out there and yeah. the quaaludes to sit back and do the rewrite and the edits and all of that <laughs> stuff <laughs> I love it yeah that's amazing it is great you could have said it better man yeah well that's why he's my well, mentor in some weird way I see you as a mentor you know well, I, I appreciate although that. when Thank I studied you. under you I wasn't you know as close you know I always stayed quiet because I was really paying attention you know? yeah. I was really trying to do the work but I was you were a good guy um, you were always a standout you know you really were I was like oh thank yeah, you yeah you really were I always sat in the back I, I tried to make no attention to myself at all no but I saw you working hard and I saw you doing stuff and, and I've sort of followed you you know over the years on Facebook and seen what you've been doing uh -huh. and you know it, it's really it's really exciting to see you doing so many great creative things and really pursuing your passion well the thing is I, I, something I learned too is to surround yourself with creative people oh it's important who you surround uh, yourself with it's incredibly and, important and not just creative people people who are doing stuff they like doing and supportive and supportive yeah uh, going back to, to to how I deal with writer's block is, is hanging out with those people sometimes sometimes just talking to a friend who does stand up and, and you mentioned that you do other things that's not creative but for me that is creative in some sense that uh, 
when you do like I learned this in comedy in comedy there's a point where I was like you know I'm doing, I'm saying the same jokes over and over mm-hmm, yeah. I can't think of new ones what's right. wrong with me and somebody pulled me aside he's like oh hey just go do something else right. I'm like and for stand ups that's like no you can't just because it's like we hear someone go on hiatus and come back and I go oh, who the fuck you know right. this guy Yeah. but I was like I, but that actually helps go on a little hiatus go, you know do something different pick up a hobby Something mundane. I agree. Taking a break from it, I, I think, is incredibly, incredibly good. I took quite a long break away from writing, yeah. and and I've just gotten back into it again, and and I'm so refreshed and so fired up about it, and just love it again so much. Yeah, and, and another thing I learned from from your class is embrace learning experiences that mm-hmm. are hardship, because the driving force of a screenplay is conflict. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and that, and for the longest time, that stayed in my mind. It's like, holy shit! It's like that makes no sense for me to have a good, comfortable life and write about bullshit. Really, right. it's like you need to embrace heartbreak. You need to embrace, you know, other stuff, getting screwed over. And in some ways, I translate it as a lot of my work being out of spite. <laughs> uh, but on a certain level, that helps me. Of course, that's great. Did you find that common? Uh, which part? Writing your work out of spite, out of spite towards other people, could be other people. Yeah. Oh, I. I mean, sometimes when I'm writing, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna make this good, and I'm gonna, you know, because I want to show that person, you know, I want to be more <laughs> successful, like that guy who screwed me over. It's yeah. like one day I want to meet him and be like, you know what, fuck you, look at me. Yeah. Um. But but no, I, I don't write out of spite because that just brings out negativity. I I I I believe you got to write, you know, to, to write because you love writing and you need to write or you need to do something you know whatever it may be you you play music because you need to you have those you have that need to 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 play music so i don't know if it's out of spite because then i think you're doing it sort of for an external reason as opposed to for the internal reason of the me i need to do it Mm. Does that make any sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, so. something I need to work on. Well, I don't know. I mean, but <laughs> but you know, but you take that spite, you take that anger, you take that that tension, you take that right. that attitude, and put it into your characters mm. because you're right. It's you know you have to go. The things that cause you to have spite are things that have caused conflict in your life, and you need to write what you know, and you need to as well as not just write what you know, but you need to write who you know. And so you take that spite and you translate it to yourself and, 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 and the, the, the experience that you had that would create that, that emotion of spite or that need for spite and take that context and put it into the screenplay, okay. if you know what I mean. All right, Brock, we've reached, we reached an hour. Oh, wow. It's towards closing well, time. That went, that went quickly. So, so one last question. Sure. To a listener who's listening in, okay. who's never had screenwriting but is interested okay. or someone just started screenwriting okay what are some words of wisdom you would offer and feel free to not sugarcoat it no 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 okay the <laughs> people whenever I was at guests or you know there would be guest lecturers or, or guests that would come into a class that I was in they always said the two things that um, or the, they always said the one thing that I always hated and I hated this answer was just keep writing and I hated that answer because it's like, okay, I'll keep writing, but fucking what do I do next? You know, what do I do next? If I keep writing, what do I put in a goddamn jar and throw it into the fucking ocean and hope someone reads it? What do I do? But my answer then is just keep writing. 
<laughs> um, you, you know, might, now that I've become that person, is keep writing because I believe that if the okay, what were you gonna say? I'm sorry. I well, I, I think I think you hit it right in the nail at the beginning. At the end of the day, we're just rats inside the Skinner box. We are. We are just rats inside the yeah, Skinner yeah, box, yeah. and and I believe you know, and and what I figured out is I believe that, and this is gonna sound hokey, but you know, opportunities will present themselves when you're ready. And if you, you know, and the universe will provide in a weird way, based on my own experiences, you know, when you're ready for them. And if you're not ready, if you haven't written anything, then you're never going to have any opportunities, you know, and things will come your way and you send out the screenplay contest or, or this and that, or somebody you ran, you run into randomly. You know, I, I was hired to write a, a spec TV pilot over the summer and now I'm being hired to write another spec TV pilot by the same people. They just randomly contacted me. You know, you never know where opportunities come up, but if I didn't have samples, if I didn't have stuff to show, that wouldn't be an opportunity. I would have gotten nothing. And so it makes sense to me now when people say keep writing and just keep writing, it makes sense to me now. But back then it didn't. Wow. Pleasure having you here. Jorge, always a pleasure to see you and I'm flattered you'd have me on. <laughs> Trust me, I, I, okay, words can't describe it. I'm just happy you're here. And I hope people listening out there uh, take your class. Thank you. At I hope so and stuff like that. Any upcoming projects you want people to know about? Uh, well, I, not upcoming projects. I am writing a bunch of shorts with a buddy of mine that I that will be will be shooting and 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 turning into films. Uh, I did. A, I, I I am being hired to write a spec pilot for a new TV show uh, by a couple producers. So I do have some projects, but but nothing to really really discuss and and plug, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> All right.